0: You're listening to The Promised Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Would you just join with me in a moment of prayer before we jump in? Jesus, we love you. Yes, we do. Yes, God, we, we do. set we our do. attention yes. fully on you. Right on. God, we need you. Yes, we do. God, we are nothing without you. We God, us. we desire you above all else. God, we declare in this place and in this city and region, there is none like you. You alone are worthy of our praise and worship. And God, I ask for your grace and the fire of your Holy Spirit to fall upon us in this place. God, to be a people that worship you, unabandoned, unashamed, full of zeal for you, Lord. God, mark us as a people of your presence. God, make us into a people that love you with all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Today I want to continue a thought that we started when we started this campus and on September 19th. I want to continue to talk to you about being a people of His presence. And at the Promised Church we say this a lot, this is kind of our vision statement that we want to see lives transformed, cities saved, and nations won by being people of His presence. The lives transformed, the cities saved, the nations won, are powerful, they're awesome by themselves, but they are to be a byproduct and a result of a people who are marked by the presence of God. Who live in His presence and are all about His presence and go after His presence. Okay, so today I want to dive a little bit more into what does it look like? to be a people of His presence. When I spoke week one here, we talked about at the Promised Church, we want to be a people all about Jesus, that being a people of His presence is simply a, a, a people that is about Jesus, that is built on Him as the chief cornerstone of the church, that He is the one that is building His church on Him of who He is as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that we are to be a people about Him, for Him, and unto Him, and that He is the one who's building His church, and if we partner with Him and join with what He is doing, it is an unstoppable force that the gates of hell can no longer withstand or hold up against. And that Jesus, when He died on the cross and raised from the dead, He plundered hell, He took the keys... Of death, hell, and the grave. He was victorious over sin, victorious over all, and he said, in my authority, go and make disciples. In my authority, essentially, go and continue to plunder hell wherever you go. Amen. And so this is our mandate. This is our mission here in this city and on all of our lives. No matter, as Nick said, whether you're in ministry, whether you're in a hospital for work, or whether you're in a warehouse, or in a grocery store, it doesn't matter where you God has placed you vocationally or locationally, we're all given the same mission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this is what God has for us. And I and I believe it is important for us to as we're in this we're in this building phase together, all of us here. If this is your home, this is your church, we're all in this together, in this building phase, to build foundation so that the Lord would move in us and through us as we move together and build culture here. Amen. Okay? So it's all important that we are on, on the same page. With this. I want to explain this thought for a second because I you can we can never be too basic or foundational or simple at times. You cannot separate the presence of God from the person of God. Yep, right. Amen. Okay, so when we say we're a people of his presence, when we say God, we want your presence, we're desiring your presence, or we say things like the presence of God is in this room. What are we saying? We're saying actually that the person of God is in this room. That Jesus is in the room through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That the the main task and role of God the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus. Amen. And so when we are here in a place of worship like we were today and exalting the Lord, He he comes and His presence is real and tangible. And He's what we're after. Nothing else. And so all of a sudden, there's a a difference in the room. The atmosphere shifts. You might... Feel something warm, something cold, there's goosebumps, there's heat, there's emotion, there's tears, there's excitement, there's there's zeal. All these things are, are tangible expressions when God moves in a place. It's measurable, it's tangible. When God comes and moves, people's lives are radically transformed. People are saved, they're healed, they're delivered, they're set free from sin and addictions. Their lives are transformed by God. And then all of a sudden, as we gather together around the person of Jesus, and our lives are transformed by him, we go and we tell other people what he has done and what he is doing. And all of a sudden, it impacts neighborhoods and regions and cities and then nations because of what he's doing. So this is why we say these things, okay? Jesus said, if two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am even in the midst of them. He's in our midst when we gather together around him, around his person, for him, about him, and we are gathered under his name. He comes and he shows up yes. powerfully yes. and wonderfully. Oh, wonderfully! And that is what we desire. Yeah. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. I'm going to do my best to go through what we have to share today, what the Lord's firm my heart to share with you. But I have a lot of notes. Praise God. Exodus 3. I apologize. There's no, nothing on the screen for you today. So I hope you have your Bible or a screen that lights up that can be used as a Bible. Uh, praise God. We have this beautiful building here. And uh, we can actually get cell phone service in this building. If you're from Woodland and our church there, it is a tin can. Uh, there is no cell service in the building. So thankfully, the Lord can allow you to use your devices in this room only for the Bible. Praise God. (laughs) Exodus 33, verse 1. Actually, before I get into this, I want to give a little backstory. So Moses and the people of Israel are in the wilderness. They've just been delivered out of Egypt. And God is taking them into the wilderness and through the wilderness to take them to the promised land. And while they're there, God asks Moses to come up on the mountain. Moses goes up there. He receives the Ten Commandments. While Moses is up there with the Lord, the people of Israel become... In patience, they become distracted and their hearts begin to wander and they actually create golden images of calves and say, these were the gods that rescued you out of Egypt. And they began to worship them and commit acts of immorality around them. Moses comes down the mountain. He sees this. He is angry. He is disturbed. He throws the Ten Commandments on the ground. They break. They shatter. Uh, Then judgment falls on the people. And the people then repent, and now God is having a conversation with Moses about what is supposed to happen going forward. What are they going to do after this terrible moment here? So for Exodus 33 verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land. Go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, all the badites. All right, that was for free. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Think about it for a second. Warm, cuddly Jesus, wanting to destroy a whole nation Yep, that's your God too. Yeah. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Verse 7, there's like this, I don't know, intermission with the story where it like pauses and gives us a window into Moses' time with God and what that would look like. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. "'Anyone inquiring of the Lord "'would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. "'And whenever Moses went out to the tent, "'all the people rose and stood at the entrance "'to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. "'As Moses went into the tent, "'the pillar of cloud would come down "'and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses.' Whenever the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped at the entrance to their tent. Think about it. Imagine it for a moment. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. And then it's like out of the intermission, back into the story in verse 12. Moses is back in this dialogue, conversation with the Lord. It says, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom he will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and I have found favor with you, or you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you. We should all pray that on a very regular basis. Lord Jesus, teach me your ways that I may know you. And continue to find Favor with you. Remember that this is your people, or that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. What does it mean to be a people of the presence of God? Number one is this, and I hope you're taking notes. I I would love for us as a church here to build within our culture and our our expression to be a note-taking people when the word is preached. Number one is this. What does it look like to be a people of his presence? We are single in focus. A people of his presence are single in focus. What does that mean? God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, people of Israel, they're rebellious and stiff necked. I can't go with you. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm a, I'm a God of my word. I'm going to honor my word. I will not go back. On the promises I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send an angel. And that angel is going to go before the nation. And they're going to remove out of that land all of the enemies. All of the other nations. And you will inherit the promises I gave to your forefathers. What God basically tells Moses is he promises him success. And he promises him promises and inheritance fulfilled. Yeah. And Moses says... Wait a minute, but God, are you going to go with us? Because God, if you don't go with us, I don't want that. That's not real success for me, God. That's not really what I'm after. We could go into that land, but if we don't have you, we are sunk. We have nothing. You will probably end up destroying us later because we will totally leave you and run away from you. Moses is saying in this moment, God, I don't care about success. I don't care about my promises being fulfilled. I don't care about my inheritance. All I want is you. A people of the presence of God are single and focused where they're after one thing, and it's his presence. They're after him. They desire him above all else. You see, success is measured in our eyes and in the Lord's eyes by his presence. Doesn't matter if this room is packed full of people for two services and we're having to think about a third, or it's the amount of people in this room right now. If he's here, yeah. we've won. Amen. <laughs> it's a good day. Amen. And thank you, Jesus, that you were here with us and you're here with us right now. Amen. Amen. His presence is measurable and tangible. We are designed by God to experience him in all of our senses. In the senses of our body and in our soul, we are meant to encounter and experience him in a real and tangible way. We are not meant to just have information and knowledge and doctrine and teaching. We are meant to know God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. This is God's plan from the beginning. Adam and Eve walked with God face to face in the garden. Mm -hmm. This is what Jesus provides us. Through the cross and His shed blood and resurrection, that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell on us, on the inside of us, and dwell with us. That we would be the temple of the Holy Spirit and collectively be a dwelling place for God. This is God's desire, and we must be a people like Moses and like David said in Psalms 27.4, Where one thing I ask of the Lord... This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, or in the Old Testament, the house of the Lord represents his presence, that I may dwell in your presence all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This is the cry of Moses, of David. This must become our heart's cry. God, I want to behold your beauty. I want to be in your presence. I want to seek after you. You're the one thing I desire above all else. David also said in Psalms 84.10 that better is one day in your house or better is one day with you, God. Better is one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere. It's that kind of cry. It's that kind of perspective. I think, when I think of this this one thing, this simplicity of heart and focus, I can't help but think of someone in the the scriptures that was very dear to Jesus' heart. And that is the person of Mary of Bethany. And in the future, I hope to speak a a bunch bunch more about her. But in the first passage that mentions her, it's in Luke 10, 38. And her and her sister Martha have Jesus come into Martha's home. Jesus comes into the town. And we don't know, really, we're not previewing to how it all happens. But Martha invites Jesus into her home. And Jesus comes. I mean, imagine that. That would be a pretty amazing day. And Martha... Begins to be very consumed and busy with preparations and all these things to do something for Jesus, to make a meal for him, we assume, or to do these different things for him. And Mary simply is sitting on the floor in front of Jesus, before his feet, listening to his voice. She's sitting there, postured, gazing upon his face, captivated and captured by him, listening to every word that would come from his lips fully, completely tuning everything out around her and fully focused on Jesus. And Martha gets offended. She gets really upset. And she's like, Jesus, don't you care? First of all, it's a terrible thing to say to God because he cares a lot. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself and isn't helping me? Can you tell her to help me? And Jesus I mean, I just really wish I could be there in that moment. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, which if God ever says your name twice, not a good day. (laughs) Simon, Simon, Martha, Martha, not, not a good day. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled or worried and anxious about many things. But only one thing is needed or only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that one thing, and it won't be taken from her. Mary's posture, her pursuit, her physical posture was an expression of her heart posture. Jesus, I just want you. I don't even think Mary even heard Martha's accusation because she was so consumed with Jesus. See, when you're so consumed with Jesus and living in the simplicity of all that you want is him, people will not like you, people will make fun of you, people will ridicule you and mock you and accuse you, but you won't even hear it because you're so focused on the Lord and it won't stop you from where you're going. This is what Jesus is asking of us. My brother, Pastor Aaron, a couple weeks ago, preached on first love and we're gonna continue to talk about that throughout our existence here. This is an expression of first love that Mary demonstrated in this moment. Yeah. When, when we, when, before we launched this campus and the Lord spoke to me one time while I was here praying before the remodel even began, I said, Lord, why have you called this among you? What are you wanting? What are you looking for? And he simply said, I want a place that will love me. Amen. This must be our mandate. This must be our heart's cry to love Jesus first and most with all that we have to be after one thing, Him. This is what it looks like to be a people of His presence. Number two, a people of His presence are different than the world. A people of His presence are different than the world. Moses said to to God, if your presence does not go with us, what will distinguish us from all of the other people, all the other nations of the earth? We will be like everybody else. There will be nothing different about us if your presence doesn't go with us. This is still true today. If God's presence is not here in this service, in this moment, this is a really weird social gathering. There is no difference between the Elks Club, the Kiowanas Club, the Lions Club, whatever club you want to throw in there, the CrossFit Club. There is no difference between what we're doing now and, and any other club if God isn't here. We must have his presence. Yes. Now, there are churches that do church without God. There are. And they care more about a lot of other things than God. All we care about is him. Mm-hmm. And we must come with that in mind. We care about him. And because we care about him, we care about what he cares about, which is other people. Yeah. Yeah. So we love. We serve. We, we do everything with excellence. We, we give all that we have for, for the sake of his name and his kingdom. For his glory. But again, that place of simplicity, Jesus, we simply are here for you. We simply want to love you and we just want you. If we are like the world, why would they want what we do or what we have? If, we, if there's nothing different in the character of our lives and the things that we say and the things that we do and how we think and, and go about our lives, if there's nothing different in us than people who don't have God and don't know God, why would they want what we have? Yeah. There must be something identifiable, something tangible, something that, that people can see in our countenance, in our expression, in the atmosphere about our lives, that there is something different, that God has come in us and transformed us, and he's in us and around us and moving with us everywhere we go. And so there's an atmosphere of love, of peace, of joy. There's a light in our face. There there is a a, a willingness to serve and sacrifice for others. There's all these things in our homes, in our workplaces, because we're there, because God's there with us. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there is nothing different about us. Jesus didn't say, you, you know, about the church. You know, be like everybody else. So no, he said, you are salt and you are light. Yep. In fact, you are not in the world or you're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Yep. Jesus set the standard very quickly with his disciples. Like, the world's going to hate you. It's okay. Yeah. Be ready for it. They hate me too. <laughs> so if you want follow me, be used to it. Yeah. Yeah. So we shouldn't like be offended or upset when people who don't know God, who don't live in righteousness, get mad at us, mm-hmm. persecute us, mock us, tease us. Reject us. And we shouldn't like feel like we have to respond back in anger or get on our little soapboxes on Facebook and like condemn people. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. We are called to be salt. We should, we should be providing flavor and seasoning to the world. We, we, are, we should be the preserving factor for why the world doesn't get destroyed right now. Yeah. We should be light. We should shine in darkness. Yeah. There should be a tangible difference from us. This is what marks a people of the presence of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, talks about what real worship looks like. You know, in a sense, true worship is not a song and dance and music, though it is a part of an expression of worship Real worship is a surrender. It is laying down my life, surrendering all that I am to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And then the next verse says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what, you know, real worship, we're, we're called to be true worshipers. We surrender our lives. In that surrender, God transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus. God transforms us. To look and sound and be different, yeah. and if we're just trying to, you know, be accepted into the world, if we're just trying to, you know, compromise and lower the standard to be nice to people, we're, do- we're- we have the wrong posture and mindset. Yeah. It's not that we are jerks and we just condemn everybody, or we do- we 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 aren't kind. No, that kindness, that gentleness, that humility, that love is actually what should draw people to the Lord through us. Amen. Amen. But we don't compromise truth to help people feel good about themselves when they're in sin. Yeah. Amen. Number three. People of his presence are desperate for more of God. Yeah. A people of his presence are desperate for more. Moses is interceding on behalf of the nation of Israel. And he's saying, God, if you don't go with us, we're sunk. God, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go anywhere from here. God, I, I got, we got to have you. And God says, okay, I will go with you, and I will give you rest. He grants Moses his prayer request. He answers the cry of his heart. He answers his prayer. And Moses could have been like, oh, thank you, God, I'm so... That's, you're so good, God. Thank you. Oh, wow. This is so good. Okay, I'm going to go tell the people. This is wonderful. And it would have been a great day. It would have been awesome. Yeah. Answer the prayer. I mean, come on. We all have yeah. prayer requests. We all have things we're praying for. If God were to answer them, come on. That's a really good day. Yeah. 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 And all of a sudden, though, Moses doesn't stay there. He doesn't stop there. He's like, wait a minute. You're, you're going to go with this? Okay. Well, God, show me your glory. I want more. I'm not content with just your presence going with us, God. I want all of who you are. I want all of what you have. This must be our heart's cry. Here's Moses doing this before Christ came on this earth, before the cross, before the resurrection. And Moses is crying out for what we have access to today. And often we become comfortable, complacent, settle for status quo, settle, settle for comfortable Christianity, which is yeah. of the devil, which is really not Christianity. And we simply just want normal life yeah. with God. True. God, come join my normal life and make it normal. Yeah. This is not the life that God died for then sent his son for. We must be a people that are hungry for God, that are desperate for more of him. And don't stop and don't settle until we breathe our last breath or until he returns. Amen. Yes. This is what we see in scripture. This is again the cry of the psalmist. In Psalms 42 verse one, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? God, when is the next time I can be with you? When is the next moment I can worship you and be in your presence? Oh God, I just want more of you. Every morning waking up with the the desire and the heart's cry, God, thank you for another day that I can be in your presence. Thank you for another day that I can be with you. Moses already had incredible friendship with God, already spoke to God face to face. But in this moment, said, I want more. God, I want all that you are. I want all that you have. Show me your glory. Let this be our hearts cry at the same time. Last last point, number four. A people of his presence are actively waiting. Actively waiting. You're like, "What, what does that mean? Well, in scripture, waiting actually equals seeking. Waiting means to pursue God. So there is this place of a heart posture and and posturing of our attention, our focus, to be content and waiting, but not being passive where we pursue God with all that we have. Often in the place of requests and the place of fulfillment, there is this waiting period. Yeah. And God wants to take us from glory to glory, as it talks about in 2 Corinthians 3. And in between the glory... And the glory, there is a two. And in the two, Tio, there is a lot of waiting usually. Yeah. And what we do in the waiting shows our heart's posture and where our where we're really at on the inside. Yeah. Yep. Is God enough for me? This reminds me of the story of Abraham or Abram in Genesis 15. He's begin, been given promises from God He's been given promises that he would have a son. He said, if you can count the sand on the seashore, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And so Abram is continuing on his journey. He's waiting for a son. God comes to him in Genesis 15 and says to him, Abram, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. And what does Abraham immediately do in that moment? God, I don't have a son. Eliezer, my servant, is going to become my heir. I need a son. You told me I was going to have a son. You told me I was going to have lots of descendants. I don't have one. And so God appeals to Abram in that moment and says, go ahead, try to count the stars. Try to number them. That's how many descendants you will have. Shortly after that moment, Abram and Sarah have a conversation. Well, we still don't have a son. It's been a year since that cool moment you had in Genesis 15. Um, why don't you take Hagar, my maidservant, try to have a child with her. And he has a son named Ishmael. Not the fulfillment of the promise. Not God's chosen promise where he did it in his own effort, his own strength, his own strategy, trying to accomplish something. Why? Because God wasn't his treasure, his very great reward. If, Mo, if Abraham in that moment had actually said, yes, God, you are my very great reward, he would not have looked to what he didn't have immediately. He would have realized that what he had was enough, right, that God, I have you. I'm like the only person on the earth right now that actually really knows you. I have everything. Yeah. Wow. But Abram's heart was waiting for a fulfillment of a promise and wasn't content realizing that in Christ he had all that he needed. Wow. And it's the same for us today. We can so desire promises, other things out there, dreams to be fulfilled, things that we're praying for. And as soon as we get them, we move on. As soon as we get them, we our pursuit of God before we got that man, that was passionate and intense. As soon as we get those things, our passionate pursuit is no longer passionate. Yeah. Our pursuit is almost non-existent yeah. because we don't actually see Jesus the way he is as our treasure, our very great reward. The treasure and the field that when you see him for how he really is or who he really is, you sell everything you have to have him because he's worth it. Yeah. Again, active, not passive. A posture of pursuit. Psalms 130. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. That doesn't sound passive to me. And in his word, I put my hope. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God is not hiding. This is not the ultimate game of hide and seek. He's hiding in plain sight. For you and I to simply choose to be a people that will pursue him with all that we have. To seek him, to seek after him, that want him above all else. And when we posture ourselves that way, when we make him our ultimate pursuit and goal, all of a sudden there's a divine collision that takes place. Because he waits to be wanted, he seeks to be sought, he longs to be longed for. And all of a sudden when the people who gather together with the same heart, the same desire, the same mindset, all of a sudden, he comes and dwells in a place with people, and it's explosive. And it actually can have cities saved and nations won through it. Yeah. And this is what God is calling us into. It's a divine invitation. Will we be a people of his presence? Will we be a people that will go after God with all that we have?